from WXXI News, this is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Well, we bring you Unleashed every month to give you an opportunity to talk about your pets and hear from local veterinarians about how to best care for them. And this edition is all about cats. So if you're a cat owner, if you're looking to bring home a new cat, if you loathe cats and there's something genetically wrong with you, we're going to try to get you turned around on that. We've got a lot of valuable information for you. It's a great chance for you to get your questions answered. Now, later in the show, we'll head over to Lollipop Farm. It's Cat Adoption Month, and the staff at Lollipop has been busy admitting and caring for nearly 300 cats already in June. They'll walk us through this, the surrender process. We'll also learn about how cats are prepared for adoption. But first, Dr. Eileen Adamo from the Cat Doctors in Penfield is in studio with us, and you can ask her a question about your pet's health, really your cat's health or behavior, by calling 844-295-TALK. It's 844-295-8255. Or if you're in Rochester, 263-WXXI, 263-9994. You can tweet your question to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack. She's on Twitter at mmacmedia. Dr. Adamo, thanks for being here. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me, Evan. You're online where, by the way? Uh, Online? Online. Oh, thecatdoctors.com. Thecatdoctors.com. And you're taking new cats? Oh, yes, okay. for sure. All right. So, uh, listeners, this is a great chance, especially we always say, you know, on this program, a lot of people are uh, call in the second half hour. You listen, you kind of absorb, and then you, you call. But this is one of those programs where if you've got questions or comments, get your questions and phone calls in early because we've got a lot we want to talk about. And we want to start right away with an issue that comes up whenever we talk cats on this program, which is food and weight. And cats are very sensitive. If your cats are listening, we don't want to make them feel bad about their weight. You know, uh, my cats are very sensitive about their weight. Yeah. Oh, uh, y'all are. You know, uh, but uh, one thing our listeners tend to say is, well, I have indoor cats. So, yes, mm-hmm. they're overweight, but, you know, they're indoor cats. They're always going to be more overweight than an outdoor cat. Is mm-hmm. that true? Well, you know, I think that the answer to that question goes a long way back. So back in like the 1920s, a man named William Morris did these really phenomenal nutritional studies on the dog because back then there wasn't too much refrigeration and people wanted to not have to just feed the dog the scraps after dinner, but actually be able to feed them a meal. So he made this totally nutritionally balanced meal for them and put it into this little dry kibble and it was wonderful. At this point, cats were still very much a second class citizen, still hunting for themselves outdoors. This was when, by the way? Like the 1920s. Oh, okay. And then like a couple decades later, when cats started to get a little more clout, some of them actually were allowed in the house and spending some amount of time in the house, he did a very great disservice. He made a, a dry food for cats. The kibble was a little smaller, and he just added a little more protein because strict carnivores have a higher protein requirement, and kind of like clapped his hands and said, woohoo, that was easy. But it was a very bad move for cats because all that carbohydrate that's in a dry food is not what they need. Evolutionarily, if you're going to be eating a bird or a mouse or a gazelle, you're going to get a lot of protein, a good amount of fat, and virtually no carbohydrate. So their metabolism is not set up to handle carbohydrates. So if they take in carbohydrates, it kind of always reminds me if my mom maybe sees me eating a donut or my sister might look at me like, oh boy, we know where that's going. It's the same thing. They just convert it to fat and save it. They don't use it. They won't use it. They save it. And then they can break that down and use it later on, but they're not going to use it when it comes in. So this is what brings our indoor cats to become overweight. They don't go out and do any hunting and exercise, and they don't eat the right thing. They only eat what we provide them. And if it's all dry food, it's too much carbohydrate. And all of the months hosting this this program in mm-hmm. particular, I had never heard the story of where dry cat food came from. Yeah, the, the, the history of it. Mm-hmm. And is it 
Is it a, a generally true statement that cats, indoor cats who eat wet food will not have the same weight issues as indoor cats who eat dry food? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because inherent in how they produce canned food, which I'm not totally clear on, but how they make it, it's virtually all protein and fat with no carbohydrates. So kind of exactly what a cat needs. And it doesn't have to be a fancy brand. That's just how they make cat food, canned cat food. So just feeding an indoor cat a strictly canned food diet they will absolutely be thinner. And it's easy if you think about it. If you think of dry food, not like cereal, but think of it like chips. Like if you have a bowl of chips out all day, you're going to snack on them and then you're not going to eat it as much at dinner time, And yet you're going to gain weight. It's the same thing. Do you find that some owners will say, well, look, my cat's been on dry food for a long time, doesn't want the wet food? I mean, is there a way to kind of get past that? Yeah. So that's a really important thing. And what I say to clients is, yes, imagine if you had eaten cereal your whole life and then I asked you to eat yogurt. How weird would that feel in your mouth? So you do need to allow some of these cats a transition period. And we have like lots of handouts that give lots of ideas for, okay, if you're trying to transition, here's how to do it slowly. But most of it is quite intuitive. You know, start with mainly their dry food, but just moisten it a little. Mm -hmm. Get their mouth used to the feel of not something that's totally crunchy, but something that's a little more squishy. And a lot of them, then you can mix in a little canned food with the softened dry food. I mean, it's pleasant tasting to a cat, so they shouldn't not like it. They just may not be used to it. Texturally. Texturally. Okay. Uh, before I grab our first phone call, yeah. and Sandra and Canandaigua, we're coming to you in just a second here. Uh, what about the issue of just indoor cats in general? I mean, uh, two cats at home mm-hmm. eat wet food only. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're still, well, now one of them is a mom has had four kids. So let's, okay. let's lay, lay off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, come on now. Right. But um, is it always uh, sort of an excuse that indoor cats are going to be less fit? or Do outdoor cats get more exercise? Is that also kind of a rule of thumb? Yes. I mean, certainly the major exercise that outdoor cats will get sprinting across the lawn and, you know, kind of not with a bowl of food in front of them all the time tends to lead to a leaner cat. However, if you do portion control at home with your canned food diet, like we have two cats and they've not gone through motherhood, but they're very lean, both them, and happily content with how much they're fed. So, And so the worst case scenario is cats eating dry food out of one of those dispensers that's like Oof. endless food. Oof. It's like you if you had a buffet every day. What would you look like? Well, so that's how we get 20-pound cats. That's how we get 20-pound cats. Have you seen 20-pound cats? We have. Um, you know, you hear those crazy records. I want to know the biggest number. Um, I, there's no HIPAA rules for cats. You no, can do this. <laughs> well, no, they're starting to come about, if you can even believe it. Actually, I can. But, I feel yeah. like I did, I, as I'm remembering, but it was a long time ago before. Like, all of our clients are so into the canned food thing, we don't see these crazy big cats. But I had a cat that was tipping that 29 to 30 pound. <gasps> yeah. 30, but did it eat another cat? <laughs> What happened? 30 pounds. He had a twin in, inside of him. Oh. No, no. He was just morbidly obese, sadly. And I do not use that term lightly because I don't want people to ever feel I'm judging their kitty because I'm not. I love all kitties. But it was affecting him in every single aspect of his life. We did get him to lose weight, though. So we had success there. But I remember it was hard to convince the owner, actually, that wow. This is just, you're going to become diabetic, which the poor cat did become diabetic, but what are you going to do? We're talking to Dr. Eileen Adamo from the Cat Doctors in Penfield, and let's grab our first phone call. It's Sandra in Canandaigua. Go ahead, Sandra. Uh, Could you tell me why my cat spits at me occasionally? Ooh, like spits like hisses at you? Yes. Oh, dear. Is this associated with anything that you can say, oh, it's when I do this, she hisses at me? Uh, No, because he's uh, pretty spoiled. He's spo- is it when you pet him in a certain area? Some kitties are sort of like, you can pet my head, but don't pet my feet or my tail. Is it yeah, that? That's, yeah, that's 
No, yeah. he'll just sit and look at me and, and spit. Often <laughs> it's because I won't let him out. Ah, okay, and so... he races through the house and jumps up on the, the, the um, uh, ceiling upstairs and yells and howls. And was he previously an outdoor kitty or allowed some outdoor yeah, access? Yeah, an outdoor kitty, uh-huh. And do but you allow him out sometimes now? I'm sorry? Uh, there are times I prefer to have him in the house. See, that's the thing. So you think of him as sort of like your little child. But the cat yes. thinks of himself as your peer, like your roommate. Oh. And if you oh. told your adult roommate, hey, I want to control when you go in or out, you can imagine. The roommate would be like, no, you don't. I'm a grown woman just like you. I get to go out when I want. And that's right. how your cat feels. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. So he want, I know he wants to control me. <laughs> ah, he wants to control himself largely. But yeah, I, he doesn't want you me? to control him. Yeah. Do you live on a busy road? Is it dangerous for him to no, spend? No, no. I live in the woods. He loves it. He climbs trees and gets birds. And... You have protective, like, flea, heartworm, and tick prevention yeah, for yeah. him? Excellent. Very good. Yeah. Well, you know what? You might see if you concede on some of that, because when he's biting you, he's sort of trying to express, hey, it's ready, time to play. I want to get out there and go play. And he figures you're just a little dim and you don't quite understand that. So he's giving <laughs> you like a, hey, can I make this a little more clear? So he doesn't understand he's hurting you. He thinks he's just trying to kind of like say, hey, do you not understand? I want to go out. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good Just luck. Those little nibbles that mm. are really nothing to worry about. No, no. Sandra, okay. th- thank you to you. Thank I, you. Mean, I don't think the cat is planning anything more nefarious than that. You're just saying <laughs> it looks like a peer. Are you someone, though, who thinks that to the best of our ability as owners, mm-hmm. keeping cats indoors is a good idea? You know, it's one of those things that um, it is definitely safest and best for the cat in all aspects, except like what um, Sanders Kitty, if they are just sure that their lifestyle needs to be outdoor, then I think it's mentally a little hard on some of them to Mm -hmm. stay indoor. There's a very big movement that comes out of the Ohio State University called the Indoor Cat Initiative, uh, in which they propose that we should offer what they call environmental enrichment, meaning if we're going to ask cats to be neutered and indoors, we better offer them something to do so that they're not going mentally crazy. So all sorts of things you add to your house, floor-to-ceiling scratching posts, little beams, they can walk across lots of stuff if you have a cat like Sandra's where you say no you got to stay in you got to give them something interesting lots of information at Ohio State University's website and this is where you know poor Sandra's cat's getting this reputation that her friends are probably saying Sandra this cat's going to kill you in your sleep and it, you know cats get that reputation but this poor cat just wants to be outside it's used to being outside yes and it's just trying to alert her and cats have tougher skin so to get to alert one cat to another you give it a little nip and it just doesn't quite understand that that's really hurting Sandra uh, let's um let me try to squeeze in a few more listener yeah. questions here um, because the phone's kind of going nuts here and and uh, just to follow up on food, and then yes. I'll get back to your phone calls. Wow, the phone's going crazy. Uh, Joe on Twitter says, uh, all dry food is bad for cats. What about high-protein brands like Blue Wilderness? So um, in reflex to continue to make as much money as they can, because dry food is less expensive for companies to create, they have tried to make dry foods that are high protein, high fat with virtually no carbohydrates, similar to canned food. And I think a lot of them get pretty close. So it's not that there's something like deadly wrong with dry food. And for some cats that will not switch, we have to go to that. Um, A good site for um, this person to look at is catinfo.org. 
where it goes through and lists sort of all the different cat foods that are out there, dry, canned, and their protein, fat, and carbohydrate content and sort of gives you a feel for, okay, of the dry foods, here's the best place to go. Blue Buffalo is a great, you know, manufacturer. So. All right. Uh, let me grab Jane in Rochester next on the phone. Go ahead, Jane. Oh, yes. Hi, Evan. Um, I wanted to uh, refer back to what you said about 20-pound cats because I once had a 20-pound cat, and she's absolutely gorgeous, the most gorgeous cat in the world. Absolutely. Yes. And I used to watch Animal Planet, and they agreed with what I had learned about Maine cats, uh, that 20 pounds for a Maine cat is, is okay. And she was absolutely, like I said, just, just wonderful. Uh, and I, every time I tell someone about her weight, they seem to think she was obese, and she was not obese. So is it different for different breeds what the normal weight would be? And what about Maine Coons? Please tell me I'm right. Well, thank you. So uh-huh. you th- thank you, Jane. So Jane's saying maybe her cat wasn't fat. It was just enormously big-boned. And, and that's absolutely the case, Jane. And Maine Coon cats are known for that. It's like LeBron James. No one would call that man fat, but he weighs a lot, and he's so huge. But that's just his genetic makeup, so he's fine to weigh. I don't know what he weighs, but something a lot more About than... About 260. 260. Okay, and probably the average guy maybe weighs 100 to 180 to 200, something like that. So he's well above normal. However, that fits his frame. So we don't go by strictly their weight. We go by what's called um, body composition or body condition, where we're feeling for, can we feel their internal organs properly without a big fat globule around everything? Can we feel their back, their ribs in sort of the proper degree? So a 20-pound Maine Coon may have been just fine. Sure. I mean, and there's, is there a runt in every litter, by the way? I, just... um, I don't know that there necessarily has to be. There often is. Okay. And I, I asked just because, um, you know, we used to have a runt of a litter and the the runt was, I mean, significantly smaller, probably mm-hmm. 20% smaller in frame length. So mm-hmm. her weight was going to always be less. Whereas, yep. you know, a large cat that Jane's mm-hmm. describing is going to be able to carry more weight. Exactly. And maybe you can still feel the ribs. Maybe yes, so. exactly. Because like I'm five foot four. Well, a girl who's six foot is going to carry a lot more weight and look slim. You know, it's just difference in our height and for cat's length. Our guest is Dr. Eileen Adamo from The Cat Doctors in Penfield, thecatdoctors.com online. They're taking new cats, new patients, new friends. And uh, if you want to call the program, you can get more of your questions and comments in. Let's get our first break of the hour and come right back to your phone calls on Connections. Coming up next hour. The man behind the NPR theme songs. Morning edition, weekend edition, Science Friday, Marketplace, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Car Talk. All these years, you've been listening to music composed by B.J. Liederman. B.J. has his own album, his first album. He says his first and last out, original music. We'll talk to the man behind NPR music about his own work next hour. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. And to Jane's point about her beautiful cat, even at 20 pounds, all cats are beautiful except Persians. That's just science. I don't know why. They're always in a bad mood. They just have that look about them. They can't help it. They're they're really nice-spirited cats. I'm just kidding, by the way. If you're a Persian (laughs) owner, don't call the program. They're beautiful, too. I'm a big cat uh, lover and a big animal lover. And to Jane's point as well, we don't want to make anybody uh, feel badly. So, Jane, thank you for the phone call. We're going to go back to your phone calls now. And this is Millie in Rochester. Go ahead, Millie. Hi, I just have a quick question about cats that hide. We, my husband and I adopted three cats 
over Memorial Day weekend, and we've had them a few weeks. We've kept them in one room. We're going in, playing with them every day, and trying to introduce them to some toys, but they basically, we come home from work, and they're hiding in whatever little corner in the room they can find, and um, I'm just wondering how how long we should expect that to happen, and at what point do we open the door and let them start exploring so, uh, the rest of the house, and I'll take your response off the air. Thank, thank you, you, Millie. Thank you, Millie. Thank you, Millie. Um, so you adopted three kitties. Were they... Housed together at the oh, she's going to take it off the air, which means her main is, that's her way of saying, I'm going to hang up and listen. That's the NPR phraseology. So she's gone. She's gone? That's okay. Oh. You can do your best with what I you get. I still talk. You. Okay. Oh, yeah. Go, All go right. Ahead. So if there's three kitties you adopted together, I, what I was going to ask is, were they, did they come in together or are they from different places in the Humane Society such that they're all getting used to each other still and they're getting used to your home? And what I was going to also ask is, are they the only pets in the home because they're getting used to any smells from other pets? And it's just like people. Some people warm up quickly. Some people take a little longer. So as long as your vet doesn't think that the hiding is, you know, sort of uh, pathologic in any way, as long as they're using the litter box, they're eating, they're playing with each other, interacting to some degree with you and each other, just give it a little more time. Good luck to you, Millie. Thanks for the phone call. Beth in Rochester next up. Go ahead, Beth. Hi, uh, we're moving and we have four cats. And I'm just wondering what's the best way to transition them from our current place to our new place. All right, Beth, don't hang up and listen. Hang there for a second. Go ahead, Eileen. <laughs> Hi, Beth. Are you just moving within the Rochester area or out of town? We're moving within the Rochester area. Okay. And are you going to have access to both your old place and your new place at the same time for a little bit? Yes, we are. Okay. So what you can do is... Um, they are going to be stressed by the whole packing process. If you could keep them all together, that will give them comfort from each other. And then when you actually are going to start to move your things in, you can pack up sort of a small bedroom with four of them. I'll often say just a small bathroom, but with four of them, a small bedroom, and then put them in and decorate it as far as like bedding and all of that without washing it so that it smells like what they're used to and just shut the door. Then you can leave the okay. front door open while you're doing all the stuff that would stress them out, like moving in other parts. And then you can leave them there and just go in and see them daily, kind of like a boarding facility, if you feel like, you know what, all these boxes and moving and turmoil is going to be upsetting to them. If I put them in one bedroom with stuff that smells like home, they're going to have each other. We're going to go in twice a day, visit with them, but then they won't have to feel all this moving. They'd probably prefer that. If you have that opportunity. Okay. Yeah. All and right. if you need something like one of them is really stressed out, your vet may recommend a short term something just to relax them. But most kitties, if they uh, have each other and it smells like their own place, they're very adaptable. You shouldn't need anything. Okay. They're all geriatric. So we're just hoping that doesn't stress them out to the point of... So the thing with them being yeah. geriatric, most geriatric cats um, urinate more. So be sure you have enough litter boxes in that room because that mm-hmm. you don't want to start any bad behaviors in your new house. So you <laughs> make sure those litter boxes are plentiful and changed like every time you go over there to keep everything super fresh. Okay. One other question is yes. there, there was a cat in the house that we're moving into. Uh-huh. Is there a way to like, you know, get rid of that? Other cats smell? Well, one thing you can do is put in, they're called feel-away. 
They're like little pheromone plugins that you can put in, and they're very relaxing for cats. And it'd be nigh on to impossible to get rid of the smell of the other cat. But as long as the other cat isn't there sort of exerting their territorial dominance, which the cat is gone, so you and I know it's not happening. And once Mm -hmm. your cats see, well, I smell the cat, but I don't see it, and I feel this relaxation from this feel-away diffuser, they generally don't kind of look for ghosts. They recognize if that cat means business, it's going to show its face and we're going to have a throwdown. And if it really doesn't mind that I'm here and I'm going to be able to call this my place, we'll be able to move on. Got it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck to you, Beth. Thanks, Good for, luck. The, thanks for the phone call. This is John and Henrietta next up. Go ahead, John. Hi. I uh, recommend uh, Understanding Cats a documentary from Britain uh, that was shown on PBS a few years ago. Understanding Cats with Roger Tabor, a cat uh, specialist. He okay. studied uh, urban cats in Great Britain, learned a lot from it. Cool. Uh, one of the things that he talked about was uh, some of the things you were just saying, uh, the stress levels of moving, and he recommends harnessing the cats to take them out into your yard and digging in what he called the common usage area, that he watched the wild cats do this, and he said that those kind of places in the wild are where the big cats will actually congregate and leave each other alone and not fight over water and other things because it's a common usage area. So he, he shows actually digging in a yard, and the cat comes out and starts digging with him. And uh, it's a great documentary. I don't know if it's available online, and but I highly recommend Roger Tabor, T-A-B-O-R, Understanding Cats. I learned a lot from it. Very cool. He doesn't, um, uh, I don't know if it's, he talks about various ways of introducing new animals, uh, another cat or a dog, uh, to a cat, and uh, you know, switching rooms, letting them come in and smell the smells. There's a lot to learn. But he also talks about uh, the need to adopt ca- kittens or cats, if, if it's kittens, that have uh, spent at least the first, I think, what, 12 to 13 weeks with their mother, that they learn how to be cats and how to be social from mothers. So kittens that are found in a bag you know, at the side of the road, don't have that. We raise them, you know, uh, feeding them. And it's a, a good thought, but that they're not necessarily going to be socialized and understand what they are as a cat. Do you have any thoughts about that? Thank you, John. Um, okay, so the last, so I don't know about digging a hole. I've, <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but that sounds like a very interesting documentary. The second part about feral kittens, like kittens that were taken from their mom, either by the mom got hit in the road or something else displaced them, they can be a little more challenging um, if we've missed the window of socialization with people. Um, I do know of clients who have, though, just over the years, those cats do come around, but it can take a lot longer. There's like a window where like two weeks to maybe a month where you really want, a month old, where you want to get human interaction so that they understand humans. As far as understanding that they're a cat, I mean, they know they're a cat. The problem is, do they accept living with us as humans because they see us as foreign? So people who find a, a feral litter, our kitties, the ones I have in my home are from a feral litter, um, and bring them in and socialize them when they're very young, they do very well with people. And they act like cats. Like if we have the windows open in our house and they hear birds, oh, my gosh, they're right. I mean, you know those cats know they're predators and we don't let them out. But um, And they use the litter box and they are happy to be with us. So I think there is that socialization window that can be tricky. It's not, it's not a deal breaker, but it just makes it harder if it wasn't I hear there. birds. 
Oh, yes, I yeah. do, too. Look at that. That's just engineer <laughs> the John sound Andrew. engineer That's John, helping us out. Engineer John <laughs> By the way, when your cats hear birds, yes. uh, do they do this cackle thing? What, what is that? Isn't that funny? It's like they do like a chirp thing almost back at them, or some of them will do this little... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's just them saying, bird, I'm going to get you. Yeah, it's you like know, a predatory, like, just like a little warning. Yes, yeah, yeah like, oh boy, this will be delicious. But they, unfortunately, they're on they're the other side of the screen. screen. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one big tease. Yeah. Our guest is Dr. Eileen Adamo from the Cat Doctors in Penfield. You can ask a question about your cat's uh, health or behavior by calling 844-295-TALK. That's toll free. 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI if you're in Rochester. Two six three nine 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 four. You have not been afraid to kind of jump into some sort of controversial stuff, uh, weight, food, indoor, outdoor. Probably the most controversial that, that we hear on a regular basis is, is the question of declawing and, mm-hmm. and scratching. I know it comes up. Mm-hmm. And so how do you feel about it? So, um, you know, inherent in the nature of the cat are those beautiful retractable claws unique to the species that are amazing. The problem is that they're not appreciated when they're used on our furniture. So what we try and encourage people to do is sort of accept the fact that that is part of the cat and use those um, indoor cat initiative strategies to change how they scratch. Like scratch where you want them to scratch rather than trying to get them to stop scratching. And then additionally, we arm you with the knowledge of how do you trim their nails? Just like a little two-year-old kid, they don't want their nails cut, but it doesn't hurt them. It's just a matter of teaching owners to feel confident to do it, um, getting the cats used to the fact that, okay, this is going to happen because they can do so much less damage if you trim their nails, and yet then you're not taking away this beautiful part of their self. Um, We do run into problems like owners that have medical issues, that a scratch would be a much bigger issue, um, or other situations where, you know, we just consider it a very big conversation to have with people. It would be a beautiful world if nobody ever wanted nor needed to declaw a cat, and it's not anything any vet wants to do. But I suppose having been in a shelter situation before myself, not in our area but elsewhere, Seeing all the cats euthanized for inappropriate scratching, um, you know, leaves me on the end of I'm not the one to judge. I'm here to help people, help people make good decisions, help cats not land back in the shelter, especially with the, you know, name tag, I scratch things, you know, because that's they're not going to have long if they do. Declawing is uh, amputation? It is. So if you look at your hand, if you put your hand out in front of you and look at it, all of your fingers have three little bones with two joints between them. And a declaw is actually separating between the third and second bone at that joint. So you just go in and you kind of separate the ligaments. And then the the last part of the finger comes off because the cells that um, cause for nail growth come from deep in that bone. You can't just take the nail out, so to speak. Um, We you know, try and use extreme pain control measures to address that, yeah, this is an amputation. Done carefully, done surgically, but in the end, it's an amputation. So we really consider it last ditch. But All right, let's get back to the phones. John and Webster next up. Go ahead, John. Yeah, hi, Evan. How are you? Good. Uh, my question is, I had two cats two months ago, and one passed away. Oh, uh, the one that's left is about 14 years old, and my wife thinks the cat is lonely and she wants to get a kitten or two. Oh. I'm just wondering what your take on that is. Is the the remaining kitty a male or a female? Male. 
male. Okay, and was he a pretty easy to get along guy as far as with the other kitty, or did they or were they sparring all the time? Oh no, they they got along great. They got along great. Probably if you brought in a young male, like somewhere between six months to a year. I mean, younger is fine, but you wouldn't have to get a kitten. It could be like six months to a year. Uh, even maybe okay. up to two years. The way that new kitty will come in in most cases is recognizing that they're second in line and they won't fight to become first in line. Um, the people mm-hmm. at a shelter are really excellent at knowing the personalities of cats. And you explain the situation, say you have a resident cat who's a older cat, and that way they'll make sure that they bring to you as options for adoption kitties that seem like they're pretty amenable to, yeah, I'd, I'd be second cat on the totem pole. Female cats are more likely to exert territorialism, so they probably will steer you towards a male only because they're going to have to come in on someone else's territory unless the people at the shelter know, oh, my gosh, here's the perfect situation. This little female came from other households with other animals or we've just seen the way she interacts. And so really rely on the shelter people. They're excellent on recognizing behavior. Okay. Okay? Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck to you, John. Let's go down to Honey Eye Falls. This is Wendy. Go ahead, Wendy. Hi, Eileen. Hello. Hey, I've got a friend who uh, can't call you because she's with clients. I already checked with her. Uh, um, so I'm calling in on her behalf okay. to find out what you have to say or anything you can recommend beyond that plug-in ceremony for uh, mother and son uh, cats. They're, they're um, mature, mm-hmm. um, but came to her together from a shelter, I think from a shelter, and uh, they keep her up at night clawing at the door. Oh, so she kind of keeps them out of the bedroom and they're clawing on the other side of the bedroom door? Yeah, yeah. She, she can't have them in the bedroom at night. Okay. She's a very, very light sleeper. So she's wearing earplugs and talking to them ahead of time and saying, now it's nighttime, no, none of this. <laughs> oh, um, what a sweet lady. So what I would say is if she has a basement in her house, what she needs to do is make a fancy kitty condo down in the basement, just meaning lots of towels, litter boxes, food, if in fact she feels there needs to be any overnight feeding. Yeah, I'm not an advocate not gonna of that. Happen. But... Not going to happen. Why is She's that? Fifth, fifth floor apartment. Oh, first floor apartment. So then a separate, like a bathroom or a second bedroom. The, basically, you just want to get the kitty so that they're inside another room so they can't scratch directly on her door. She probably uh, okay. won't be woken up if they're scratching on the inside of another room's door. Then the other thing you can do is put like an over-the-door hanger thing with a carpet at the bottom so that they'll actually not be even making the noise of tapping against the door, but it'll be against carpet, which will absorb more sound. Uh, good suggestion. Thanks okay. so much. Anything sure. that can be done to to reverse the behavior or, or anything like that? Cat communicator? Well, no. You know what it is, is that cats t- can be very active at night. And if you're just a very light sleeper, it's kind of oil and water. But, uh, you know, I think by just putting them somewhere else at night, they're not bothered by that. They, they won't, like, lose any of the relationship um, mm-hmm. The kitty won't be like, well, fine, if you're going to put me in the second bedroom at night, I'm not going to blah, blah, blah. Nothing like that. It'll just be like, oh, hey, great. We're back together. You know, so just <laughs> okay. go for it and make sure she gets good sleep. That's important. Yeah, good enough. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for the phone call. Let's get our uh, only other short break here. And we're going to come back with Dr. Eileen Adamo from The Cat Doctors in Penfield. You can find them online at thecatdoctors.com. She's in studio, and we'll take more of your calls about cat health and behavior. And we're going to hear how Lollipop Farm is helping hundreds of cats and kittens find new homes. Spring 
is kitten season. We're going to talk about how they're handling it next on Unleashed. Stay with us. In December of 2014, the Obama administration announced the opening of diplomatic ties with Cuba and began easing restrictions on trade and travel to the country. We will begin to normalize relations between our two countries. Now President Trump looks to tighten those restrictions. I'm Ari Shapiro, the evolving U.S.-Cuba relationship this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Animal shelters in our area are seeing hundreds of cats come through their doors this month, and that's why June is Cat Adoption Month. And Unleashed producer Megan Mack visited Lollipop Farm to learn about the intake process and about how cats find new homes. We're going to go to the back clinic area. Lollipop Farm is a busy place on any given day, but there's some extra hustle and bustle this month because it's the start of kitten season. 278 cats were admitted to the shelter this month, and 150 were five months or younger. There's often a stigma attached to surrendering an animal, and Lollipop Farm is committed to reducing that. Maybe a family member has developed an allergy to the pet. Maybe the owner is moving and can't bring the pet to the new home. Or maybe the animal requires medical care that the owner just can't afford. Having to surrender your pet can be devastating for some, and we try to make that comfortable or as comfortable as possible. Jillian Hargrave is the vice president and COO of Lollipop Farm. She explained how the shelter has a separate entrance for admissions, so owners have some privacy. They also meet with admissions counselors who guide them through the process. We spend as much time as they can spend talking about their cat and everything we know about it, the likes, the dislikes, the habits, and we get a profile and any medical information. It can be an emotional experience, and Hargrave says the staff is trained to help owners through it. No one can really imagine until you're sitting there what it's like to have to give up. For some people, it's a child. It's their baby. They've maybe even had it all their life. And, you know, you're between a rock and a hard place, and there's nothing. We can't fix the problem, try as we may. It's really allowing the admitter to grieve it's providing empathy and understanding and compassion. A lot of the myth is that admitters are bad people, that they're throwing their animals away, when in fact that's actually not the case. You know, these are people who truly care, and the fact that they care so much is why they're here. They're not dumping their cat on the street or just giving it to anybody. They want the best for their animal, and this is their last resort. They have nowhere else to go. And we want to be really sensitive about that. We want to provide hope for that animal. After the admission appointment, the cat begins its journey to adoption. It goes through the shelter's clinic for a checkup, vaccines, and to be spayed or neutered. Some cats need special medical attention, including trauma care. Christine Garvey is a veterinarian at Lollipop Farm. We see trauma cases, cats that have been hit by cars, dogs that have been hit by cars. Sometimes we don't know what happened to them, but something did. Animals that have been attacked by other animals. Also animals who have serious surgical problems like a foreign body or an infection in their uterus that makes them really sick. After the exam, the cat then goes to a holding room where Lollipop Farm's behavior team monitors the animals to make sure they're eating properly, using litter boxes, and adjusting well. Brittany Dupre is part of the behavior and training team at Lollipop Farm. She says the number one behavioral issue she sees with cats is fear. Cats that run and hide when people come to the house or cats that are afraid of, you know, owner's children and things like that can be tough. 
Litter box avoidance is definitely something that we deal with on a regular basis because it can be very hard to manage for the average cat owner. Cages line the wall of the holding room, but they look pretty homey inside. Each cat has its own special blanket, toys, and a nice view of a bird feeder outside. You might be wondering how Lollipop Farm can house and feed 278 cats a month. It's a good question. Hargrave says it costs at least $200 to $300 per cat and more for kittens, and that money comes from generous donations from the community. By scheduling admission appointments and relying on special adoption events, the shelter is able to help cats find new homes as soon as possible. We have a special going on, so cats are getting adopted quickly, and that's very helpful. We also utilize our foster program. So for instance, kittens that aren't quite old enough, instead of sitting here until they grow up, we send them out. Or even sometimes cats that are on meds or need a little time, we send them out into foster care, which frees up a cage for somebody else coming in. In Hargrave's words, adoptions have been rocking. She says there have been 173 adoptions in June, and 78 of those placements have been kittens. The shelter is in the middle of a promotion right now as part of Cat Adoption Month, so if you're looking to add a new member to your family, you can save 50% on cats six years and younger, and senior cats are free. To learn more, just head to lollipop.org, call 585-223-1330, or visit the shelter in person to meet the cats. Megan Mack, WXXI News. And as you heard in this piece, surrendering an animal can be a difficult decision. Lollipop Farm does talk to pet owners about that decision before making an appointment. Sometimes owners just need some assistance with behavior training or resources like food, and the shelter provides those services to help pets stay in the home. You can learn more about that at lollipop.org as well. We also want to tell you about a cat adoption promotion through Rochester Animal Services this month. Now through June 30th, the adoption fee for cats is lowered from $90 to $10. That fee includes the cost of vaccinations, spay and neuter surgeries, and a microchip. And the shelter is located at 184 Verona Street. It's open Monday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and on Wednesdays from 11 to 7.30. That's the shelter at Verona Street there. Uh, I just want to ask, that before we get back to your phone calls, Dr. Adamo, mm-hmm. you, you know, that decision on, on surrendering, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's that's a great point that a lot of people feel like, this behavior cannot be corrected, or mm-hmm. you, know, you, you mentioned scratching, those kind of things. And mm-hmm. that, those are tough moments there. You know, what, what would you tell pet owners, cat owners, who are having that struggle, thinking this cat's never going to come around in a certain way? Yeah, and that is a good amount of our appointments will be some in some way behaviorally related, the two big ones being inappropriate urination and inappropriate scratching, destructive scratching. So gone are the days where people feel guilty about taking anti-anxiety medication, and gone are the days where we want people to feel badly about giving their cat anti-anxiety medication. It can, it's been a huge boon to success in these arenas because some of these cats are affected by things they're seeing outdoors, like maybe there's a stray cat coming around that's stressing it out, that they feel they need to mark their territory, or maybe they're made anxious by the other cat in the household, or they're just an anxious cat, like there's just some anxious people. So we've helped a lot of people out with Making the environmental changes, that step has to come first. Making sure that there's enough litter boxes, they're cleaned appropriately, they're the right type of litter boxes, they're the right type of litter, all these things. But then also that extra piece of if this cat does seem kind of like in general an anxious cat, to help them out that way. And it's made a huge difference for our clientele. All right, let me get back to your phone calls. This is Teresa in Rochester. Next up, go ahead, Teresa. Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. I have two cats, one of which 
is we have, we approximate that he's probably around um, 13 years old, maybe. Okay. We didn't know how old he was when he came to me. He was a stray. Mm-hmm. And another, I, I had him for about a year, mm-hmm. and I had another cat at the time who was failing. Her kidneys were failing, mm-hmm. and he was always so sweet to her. He's a very gregarious, very friendly cat. So when she was gone, I thought he needed a companion, mm-hmm. and I got a kitten, a male. Mm-hmm. Happens to be, and he was—he's a big cat. But this is a the the, the kitten is a part Maine Coon, so he kind of outweighs him. <laughs> and he's a kid, so even though he took, you know, he he took Fritz, the older one, to be the boss. He harasses them, you know. I think he's, he wants to play. He's a kid. Mm-hmm. And now yes. what happened is Fritz developed, after he came to me, as far as I know, this um, uh, feline stomatitis. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible and painful. And he has an appointment next week. It may end up including full mouth extraction. Mm-hmm. But he's been peeing inappropriately for the last several weeks maybe a couple, three months now. And I'm just, I, I'm kind of at my wit's end. He's doing it in my bathroom, which is fine when he does it in the tub, but not when he pees on some of my stuff. Okay, wow. You have got, you've hit like the trifecta of issues there. You've got inner cat yeah. relations, inappropriate urination, and a serious medical yeah. issue. So what I would say yeah. is that with stomatitis, if a Vet has looked at it and has diagnosed this as stomatitis. I think there's few things that are more painful for a cat than that. So I would hold judgment on everything else so you get that mouth taken care of. Get in there, get the full mouth extractions oh, yeah. done, and it's see what sort kind of... controlled with uh, dexamethasone for quite some time, and he has had flare-ups. He did have some teeth extracted, and he, he takes a pill that's fine every day. So the only, like, the veterinary dentist would say really the appropriate treatment is to get full mouth extraction. Not only that, you have to yep. be sure that none of the root tips yes, are left. So at, sometimes, yeah. you know, veterinary dentists are best to take this on because it is such a, an important to be done exactly perfectly well sort of situation. Um, or at least uh, if your vet has lots of experience with doing full mouth cat extractions, then great. Um, and so many issues will come of just that chronic pain, even though you've been a very good owner and you've been giving medications hoping to alleviate the discomfort. I think there's few things that are more painful. So the inappropriate urination, good that it's going on in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. If you need to sort of keep that kitty in there until the procedure's done, just so that they're not messing up your whole Mm -hmm. house, you know, maybe make that sort of plan. And then as far as inner cat, if the young one is really, you know, so stressful to the older one again kind of separation until we get the mouth taken care of and then you know re reintroduce everybody okay Teresa. okay, okay. does yeah. it did you have a lingering think, yeah. question there yeah I, you know they did have a respite from each other and it stopped for about maybe two weeks and then it started back to the normal, you know. Get that mouth taken care of. You're on the right track, Teresa. You're totally on the right track. Get it taken care of. Good luck, Teresa. Thank you for the phone call. We've got a few minutes left with Dr. Eileen Adamo from the Cat Doctors in Penfield. We talked about what they eat. Mm-hmm. Here's another thing that they sort of eat that people are planting this time of year. It's catnip. Oh, so, yes. So what? what is catnip? I mean, I, I've seen cats rub their face on it like uh-huh. they are 
Like, like like they're at a fish concert and something strange <laughs> is happening. Like, like what is it really that much of kind of a psychedelic? For them? Yeah, it it's very very attractive to some of them, and they like it both fresh and dried. In fact, one of our clients, a wonderful client, actually grows catnip and brings it into us. So in our basement, we're drying catnip all the time so that our hospitalized kitties can have it and our boarding kitties can have it because it does relax a lot of them and make them feel like oh <laughs> medicinal catnip. It is it's a we big call, debate in it, this country. Big debate. <laughs> but we're pretty liberal with it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not exactly sure the brain chemistry situation, and kittens don't tend to respond to it. So it is oh, something they grow into mm-hmm. sort of being affected by. But so many cats, even if they're not the type that go really crazy and just roll all over it, they feel more relaxed when it's there. So we utilize it kind of as an environmental medicine in our hospital. So everyone feels like, oh, this is a cool place. Nothing, no big deal. They're handing out the catnip. So if you grow it in the backyard, no problem. No problem. But will it attract neighborhood cats? There you go. You may attract neighborhood cats, yes. But they don't tend to do anything much. They'll just smell it and rub on it and walk away. Okay. If you hear, like, Grateful Dead <laughs> tunes coming out of the backyard and there a bunch of cats hanging out. Uh, it's amazing to see, like, how cats really react to it. I mean, Oh, yeah. some of them are so hysterical to watch. Yeah. They, like, literally throw themselves at it. But but nothing toxic or dangerous. No, no. It's wonderful. Okay. All right. See, well, there there's one green light. That's great Avoid to hear. Avoid the lilies. There's the toxic and dangerous, especially if you... Oh. I mean, usually these are more around Easter and Mother's Day, but lilies will... They ruin cats' kidneys in such short order that it's just super dangerous. You've seen that come in? Yes. It's very, very sad because it's usually a special event that's brought the flowers into the house. And literally any part of the flower is dangerous for them, the leaves, any part of it. And it just... it. It forms all these crystals in their kidneys, and it's devastating. Oh, boy. So, um, so cats, yeah. So, any plants or... Flowers in general, you say don't let them eat flowers. No, don't let them eat stuff. I've seen cats just become like vaguely, inexplicably sick, vomiting, all these different things that just wound up costing the owner about a bunch of money because we're doing lab work. The last one I can think of, the cat's kidney function looked very, very poor, and I think it was just getting into something. So I said, I don't know enough about plants. All the plants out of your house, no plants. And then we checked the cat again in another month, and it's okay. We treated wow. it at the time and then checked it, and it was okay. So plants can all do some bad things for cats. You also have, we were, before the program began, you were also talking about just the change you see when it comes to, to teeth and dental work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that it, it's an expense that some people don't want to kind of stomach, but I, I had mentioned that, you know, uh, I've seen incredible change. You, you have as well, huh? Oh, it, it's a large portion of what we do surgically because our Humane Society here in Rochester is so fabulous. Kitties don't leave that place without being neutered. So the number one thing we deal with are cat's teeth. And the other vet at my practice, Dr. Carrie Sanders, is like a guru with cat teeth. And a lot of them, unfortunately, need extractions because no restorative procedures have proven to be successful in cats. And the type of lesion they get is different than what people and dogs get, cavities, where there's a breach in the enamel and bacteria sort of rots out the tooth from the outside in. The type of lesions that cats get start at the root of the tooth and are so damaging to the structural integrity of the tooth that there's no saving it. And they're very painful and they can lead to tooth root abscesses. And it's not known whether they're becoming more common or if we're just finally giving cats their due and we're doing an exam, and if they're hissing at us or growling at us, we're still going to look in their mouth. We're not going to let that be the reason that we don't. So we find this with increasing frequency. And my personal, and this is just personal, not no scientific 
back up on this, uh, the dry food diets, I think, contribute to this. I think cats that start out and are maintaining their whole life on canned food do not show as many of these lesions. I just personally think I see it more. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the real takeaways from this hour. I know you've heard it before, but you've heard it in more detail about why this hour. Dry food is something that if you can, avoid it. For yeah. Um, and finally, Mary Beth on Twitter says, can the doctor explain how to cut the cat's nails? People need to know. Oh, my gosh, yes. So we totally can. And in fact, when people come in for their first appointment, we spend an inordinate amount of time teaching them if they're willing to learn and setting them up with the right type of nail trimmer and showing them, okay, in your cat, here's how we would go about doing it. Because some cats um, just need to be wrapped up in a towel. Other cats, it's better if they kind of can't see what's going on. Some kitties, um, if you give them a little like gentle sort of massage at the back of their neck, that will help. Other cats, it's, uh, you know, distracting them with baby food. So yes, we definitely teach it. Call the office, 641-2287. We will teach you how to trim your cat's nails. And they are taking new patients, which means new cats. So they're online. One more time, online where? Thecatdoctors.com. So plural, thecatdoctors.com. Thecatdoctors.com. Dr. Eileen Adamo, it's been gr uh, great having you this hour. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for all the great uh, great counsel for our cat owners out oh, there. Oh, my pleasure. It was awesome to be here. Thank you so much, Evan. Easy to find. That's great having her. Our thanks to... Well, John Andrus is doing all the all the special effects for you. Thank you, John. Uh, let's take a short break. And speaking of, of sort of not just special effects, but special music and programming, the guy who's done the NPR theme music since 1979 is B.J. Lederman. He was just a uh, sort of an, a struggling college student who got a pretty good gig doing morning edition music. And now he's done the music for just about everything you hear on NPR every day. He's got a brand new album out, and he is my guest next hour. That's coming up. <laughs> 